0: Let's pray. Father God, as we look at this amazing part of your word that describes the beauties and glories of your son, pray that you might open our eyes to see it, open our hearts to love and adore him. Speak through me clearly words that are faithful to you and to your word. Lord, we pray that you might move us to respond rightly. So do a great work in us by your spirit for the glory of Jesus. Amen. I enjoy playing basketball on Monday nights. A few men from Bundy, Vincent included. We're in an over-30s team and it's been fun. But I even get beaten by my sons now. I ain't no MJ. By MJ, I mean Michael Jordan. Jordan is arguably the greatest basketball player of all time, the GOAT. He helped the Chicago Bulls win three NBA championships and then soon after, another three. He was the NBA Most Valuable Player five times. He was the first player you'd choose for your team. I was amazed as I watched him on TV in the 90s, a supreme champion. But it wasn't always so. As a skinny five foot nine. Year 10 student, he was cut from the senior basketball team. But being cut motivated him to work harder than anyone else. He told a coach at university he wanted to be the best player who ever played there. And eventually Jordan rose to the top. He made it to the top. Has LeBron James surpassed him now? Hmm. Will someone else in the future? Most of us, I think, would like to be picked first for the sports team, not last. For many of us, we like to be first, whether it's in what we do and enjoy, you know, our sport, our subject, our instrument, our parenting skills, our work, or whatever. Most of us want to be respected and liked and loved. We want to be needed and admired. Do we deserve to be first? And if we put ourselves first, then, then how does how does the unbeatable Jesus fit into the picture? Today we're considering who Jesus is, what is done, and what that means for our lives now. We're in this series through Paul's letter to the Colossians. Uh, Paul has heard of their Christian faith and their love and their hope and he's thanked God for it. And he's shared how he's been praying for them. Do you remember from last week? To know God fully, to fully know God's will so that they may fully please him. In living lives of those four G's, do you remember them? Four G's of good works and growing knowledge and great endurance and I wonder if you remember the fourth. Uh, Giving thanks. Remember, their church has had false teachers come and tell them that they can move on from Christ and progress to greater knowledge and fullness and spiritual maturity if they follow their teachings. Paul wants them to be 100% clear that knowledge and maturity is found in Jesus. And so he seeks to deepen their knowledge of Christ. So they'll know how awesome he is, have a big vision of Jesus, which brings us to my first point, Jesus, briefly, the revealer. Thinking of the Son of God, who was mentioned in verse 13, verse 15 says, "He's the image of the invisible God. God is invisible." But uh, the Son of God who took on flesh and became man, he makes the invisible visible. And when, when you look at Jesus, you don't see something of God. You see God. When we see Jesus in the scriptures, we, we see God. What God is like, his character and nature, his holiness, his power, his wisdom, his love and, and more. Look at verse 19 says, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. The fullness of God dwells in his son who took on flesh in Jesus Christ. A preacher was once confronted by a cult leader who rejected the deity of Jesus, his divinity. And this cult leader said, Jesus cannot be the eternal son of God for a father is always older than his son. If the father is not eternal, then he is not God. If Jesus is his son, then he is not eternal. The preacher responded, the thing that makes a person a father is having a son. But if God is the eternal father, then he must have an eternal son. That means that the son is eternal and that he is God. So Jesus is truly God, fully God. He is, as we remember at Christmas, Emmanuel, God with us, the one who perfectly reveals God's nature. And so all we need to know of God is found in Jesus Christ. The Colossians are being told that Christ is not enough. And they're being tempted to try and find spiritual fullness and fulfillment elsewhere beyond Christ. And Paul is saying, there is no fullness beyond Christ. You want to know and experience God fully? Look at Jesus. Come to Jesus. It's like what Hebrews 1 verse 3 says. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation or exact expression of his nature. Jesus is God. He truly reveals God. And when we believe that, it will give us clarity, it will give us confidence. For we don't need to go looking for more of God elsewhere, not in Islam, not in Hinduism, not in philosophy not in nature. We find it in Christ. And so we strive to know him more. Him more. Secondly, Jesus is the ruler and creator. Look at verse 15. It says he's the firstborn over all creation. Now, firstborn here doesn't mean that Jesus is the first one born. It's not about birth order. Be clear that Jehovah's Witnesses have got it wrong. Jesus did not have a beginning of existence. He is not the highest created being. Because verse 16 says, everything was created by him. All things have been created through him and for him. Firstborn in this sense means heir means that he is is the first in status and honour and rank. He's the one who will inherit and rule over all creation. And that little word, all, sometimes translated as everything in this passage, you look for it when you read these six verses, all, everything, it's repeated nearly in every phrase and every verse. And one reason that Jesus rules over All creation is because everything was created by him. As we read in John chapter 1, verse 3, all things were created through him. And So the father has made all things by his word, that is through his son, the word. God made all things by the means of his son. Now, God is still separate and distinct from the created world. Our pantheists have got it wrong. The world of Avatar and the belief that God indwells and is part of the natural world, so really we've all got God in us, that's incorrect. Now, I enjoyed the movie. But just like the force in Star Wars, this view of the world and reality is wrong. God is to be distinguished from everything he created. Now verse 16, there Paul elaborates on on what he means by everything, just to be clear. In the sun making all things, it includes things and beings in heaven and on earth. What we see and what we don't see and all thrones and powers and rulers and authorities. And the original Greek for the word rulers can mean those things or people that have the first place, the principal place, whether that's your principal at your school or the president or king of a country. But but rulers and authorities, if you look at chapter 2, verse 15, it's also mentioned there. So it particularly includes the spiritual That is the angelic and demonic powers. Jesus rules over all. For the Colossians who came from pagan polytheistic backgrounds, Paul is saying there's not many gods who rule over the water, the sea, the sun, the earth separately. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 actually says it's actually demons at work in those pagan gods. And none of them can compete with Jesus anyway. Maybe this resonates with you if you come from a Hindu culture. Or if you came from an animist culture, believing that spirits inhabit natural things, whether rocks or trees or animals, Jesus rules over all of them. If you came from a Taoist culture and feel the need to worship or fear your deceased ancestors, you don't need to. The Son of God, he made, he rules over even the devil and his demons. Now he didn't create them evil, but even when Satan and his angels turned against God, he still has power and authority over them. Some verses there in the transcript you can look up if you wish. But we don't need to fear evil spirits, for Christ rules over all with power. Verse 17 says he's before all things. And that likely includes time. He's before them in time and before them in importance. He existed before all things because he is God and he is superior over everything. Then look at the end of verse 16. All things were created through him and for him. For him means for his glory. We'll come back to this point, but for now, consider, think that all creation was made for Christ. Our world is full of spectacular and amazing and wonderfully good things. I mean, clean water, This what it means is clean water and food and wine, they, all these things. Drink are their good gifts given to us to enjoy. But actually, it's not for our Self-indulgence. So when you next enjoy amazing food, when you next take in a breathtaking sunrise, or you rejoice in the glorious view from that mountain top that you hiked up, or when, you, when you marvel at the colors of a flower, or you marvel at how ants work together, or how DNA gives us our wondrous variety and enables us to recover from injuries. Whatever it is from creation, marvel at it and remember that it's all for Jesus. and Give him the glory. Give him praise. I mean, verse 17 says, By him all things hold together. I mean, all things there means all things. That means that atoms and molecules hold together because he wills it. Gravity works the way it does because he wills it. He holds together our sanity, our families, our church, even with all of our differences. He holds everything together with sovereignty and care. And this is meant to stretch our puny minds and dominate our thinking and change us so that Christ captures and captivates our hearts. The only reason that you and I exist, the only reason that we are breathing and our heart is beating today is because Christ holds us together. One aspect of how the universe is made that amazes me. Remember, I had a science background once upon a time. It's the anthropic principle or the fine-tuning argument. That's the law of human existence which states that there is a set of fundamental physical constants that if they were even slightly different, the universe would not have life in it. The earth would have no human life on it. So the sun has a surface temperature of about 5,500 degrees. And if it were any closer to the earth, we would all burn up. If any further away, we would freeze. If the earth's rotation slowed down just a little, we would all be destroyed. Our globe is tilted on an angle of 23 degrees, providing us with four seasons. If it were not tilted, vapors from the oceans would move north and south and develop into monstrous continents of ice. If the ocean's floors were only a few meters deeper than they are, the carbon dioxide and oxygen balance in the Earth's atmosphere would be upset and no human, animal or plant life would exist. How does the universe And how does our planet stay in this kind of amazingly delicate balance? The Son of God sustains it all. He made it. He holds it together. And that is our Lord. That is our Lord, the ruler and the creator and the one who's to be praised. So please understand that if you know Jesus, you know the creator of everything. If you know Jesus, you know the sustainer of everything. If you know Jesus, you know the ruler over everything. How good, how great is that? Marvel at him. But he's also uh, the reconciler. Point three. Verse 20 says, God was pleased to, through his son, reconcile all things to himself by making peace through his blood shared on the cross. The word reconcile speaks of bringing peace in what was a fractured or broken relationship, a falling out It's bringing back to the former state of harmony. When humanity rejected and turned away from God in the fall, a gigantic rupture took place which ripped apart the relationship between God and mankind and it impacted the world. Human beings ever since have continued to disobey and reject God as the good and loving ruler of the world. And so we're all left experiencing and contributing to the broken relationship with God, broken relationships we have with each other. And that's because we keep putting ourselves first. In April 1912, the Titanic's stern raised high above the freezing North Atlantic waters, and then the ship sunk into the ocean. The beauties of sacrificial love were seen that night, but so was abysmal cowardice and selfishness. For of the 1,600 people not able to get into the lifeboats, only 13 were picked up by the half-empty boats nearby. In boat number five, Officer Pittman heard the anguished cries of people treading water. He turned the boat around and shouted, Now men, we will pull back to the wreck. But the passengers protested, Why should we all lose our lives in a useless attempt to save others? Pittman gave in. And for the next hour, those 40 people listened to the fading cries of swimmers. In 60% full, boat number two, the officer asked the ladies if they should go back. They said no. In boat number six, the women begged the officer to go back and he refused. Of the 18 boats, lifeboats, only one returns and an hour later. And that's a parable of how the world has gone wrong. Fallen humanity is adrift on an unfriendly sea, selfishly alienated from God and from each other. But in love, God sent his son to restore that broken relationship, that broken relationship with him, and from that with others. And Jesus did that by shedding his blood. That means dying a sacrificial death in our place to forgive our sins and give us peace with God. And so, bigger and better than Jack pushing up Rose onto that debris to save her life in the Titanic movie, Jesus experienced the depths of hell and the wrath of God for his enemies to save us from our sins, to save many millions of people forever. Jesus alone reconciles us to God. The harmony and peaceful relationship with God it it is, it can only be reestablished through Christ and by relying on him and his death for you. We'll hear more about this next week. But just like Colin Buchanan sung last night, bet all you have on Jesus. Throw yourself on him. Notice that verse 20 says everything. Everything gets reconciled to God through the Son, whether things in heaven or on earth. Now we know that only people who get reconciled to God are those who repent and believe in the Lord Jesus. So this verse, it cannot be saying that unbelievers will be saved in the end. This verse is saying. That in some sense, even the fallen creation will get reconciled and find harmony with God again in the new creation. And that's what Romans 8 speaks about. And it's about what we sing in in the carol. Joy to the world, no more sins and sorrows grow and thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessing, blessings flow far as the curse is found. His work is bigger than us. The work of Jesus will transform and restore, bring in a new world. And yet, demons and non-Christians will not be included in that everything that gets reconciled. Some evangelical writers suggest that means, everything means everything will get reconciled except that which God rejects. That could be the case. But remember, The word reconciled here means being brought back to that former state of harmony and peace. So another option is that 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 can happen through forgiveness or when you defeat and destroy your enemy. Like what will happen for his spiritual enemies in chapter 2 verse 15. And so for many people and the devil and his angels, peace will not come by forgiving but by crushing all rebellion. People need to know that and turn to Jesus for mercy. Satan has been brought to his knees and he will soon be cast into an eternal fire because Jesus rules. Jesus is first. Jesus wins and he will bring peace. And that'll all happen because Jesus didn't stay dead. He was raised from the dead. He's alive. Verse 18 says he's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, which means he was the first person to rise with this new resurrection body. And he rules over the dead. His status is unmatched. And the risen Lord, we're told he rules over the church. Being the head of the church means he leads and guides it. God's people depend on him. Our resurrection depends upon his resurrection. Our life depends on his life. Without him, there is no church. Why is all this the case? Why why are all these things the way they are? Why has everything happened this way? Verse 18 says, so that he might have, Jesus might have, the first place in everything. The plan and will of God is for Jesus the Son to be first, to have the preeminence, the supremacy, to be supreme. Colin Buchanan sings about this in his kids' song uh, in this album, 20 years ago, I think. Jesus is number one right at the top where he belongs. Who he is and what he's done makes Jesus number one. Abraham Kuyper was an extraordinary man. Before his death in 1920, he'd been a pastor who founded a reformed denomination in the Netherlands a journalist who started a newspaper, he was a theologian and writer who started a university, and a politician who founded a political party and became prime minister for four years. It wasn't about him, though. Unlike for Michael Jordan, it wasn't about him being first or supreme. Kuiper famously once said, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. Everything belongs to him. Kuiper lived to honor Christ. Jesus is supreme over all, first over all, in time, in creation, in salvation, in importance, in everything. And So what should be our response to this? Well, I think the world tells us that life is all about these six Ps. I like alliteration, you can tell. Life's about the paycheck. Money and career, that's that's what matters. And it's about the postcode, the house you get in the right suburb, the right area, the right street. And it's about possessions. So when you become an adult, you move out, you might get that couch off the side of the road or the hand-me-down couch, the second-hand one. Then you upgrade to a couch from Amart Furniture. Then you get the couch you really want. For others, it's about prominence, your power and status and success and being the best. Or it's about people having the right peers, the right friends, fitting in your family. They matter most. Maybe your family is number one for you. Or it's about pleasure. The new things, the garden, the fun, food and wine or the sex, the the holidays, the early retirements I'm looking forward to, the pleasures. Which of those six Ps tugs at your heart? But, But Jesus is supreme. So you and I, we were created for him. That means we live for his pleasure. The six Ps are not supreme. So live for the Christ who is, for his glory, to please him. And we please him when we find our joy and pleasure in him. In him, our creator and sustainer and ruler and reconciler. And so our response should be revering him. That is worshipping and honouring and pleasing and enjoying, obeying, praising, living for him. What will be your response? If you're a believer in Jesus, I'm sure he's prominent. Is he preeminent though? Right at the top. Or maybe you need to make a change in one of those six P's. What needs to change if Christ is going to hold first place in your hearts? Just yesterday, a brother mentioned the I Am Second website and, and YouTube testimonies. I've not heard of it before. But it's stories of people who tried living for themselves, but it left them addicted alone, purposeless and lost. Only when they put Jesus first did they find peace and freedom. You might like to check out I am second. And I think we can say I'm second or I'm last because I'm not first. As I close, I want you to think about hubcaps. Hubcaps. Before new cars had alloy wheels, wheels used to have hubcaps. What's the purpose of hubcaps? They really only cover the wheels and make your wheels and your car look good, look nice. We are like hubcaps created for Jesus, for his sake, to make him look good, because he is. Remember your purpose. Keep putting Jesus first in your life. Or in another way of talking about it, we make Jesus the car. Make Jesus the car. Everything else is hubcaps. You and I were created by him and for him. So don't live to please yourself first or be first please him, adore him, live for him. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you for, that you can, by your grace and your spirit, you uncloud our eyes and open them and our minds to the glory of your son. We pray, Father God, that we would, not turn away from his glory and goodness, power and sovereignty and love and grace, to focus on living for other things that won't satisfy and that were never made to fulfill our hearts. Thank you that you give us many good gifts, like those six Ps, but may we glorify and enjoy you, the giver, we pray that you would turn us away from selfishness and sin, that we might rejoice in and revere our Lord Jesus. No one else is worthy, and Lord, we pray that you might help us to live for him, live for him with all the strength that you give us. In Jesus' name, amen.